Andrew Murray. I don't know if any of you know Andrew Murray or knew Andrew Murray. He's passed away now. He was born in 1828. Anybody remember back in those days, 1828? He was a pastor and an author and uh, spent most of his life in South Africa. In the year 1912, Andrew Murray was 84 years old and participated in a conference there in South Africa seeking to address the issue of the lack of spiritual power in the church. The church in 1912 lacked spiritual power. I thought that was just in the year 2019. 1912, the church was lacking spiritual power. Andrew Murray and others hosted or were a part of a conference to address it. Now, I want you to, to notice the conclusion. You'll read the words on the screen. The conclusion of the conference was this. The low spiritual state of the church was caused by unbelief resulting from prayerlessness. Let's start at the end and work our way back up. You'll understand that prayerlessness resulted in unbelief. Unbelief resulted in a low spiritual state of the church. Basically what they discovered was the people were attending church and going through the motions and didn't necessarily believe. Not that they confessed that they didn't believe, but they lived a life as though they did not believe the very message of the gospel, which is what brought them into the church to start with. That was the conclusion of 19... 12 in the church there in South Africa. The result was uh, a book and some conferences with a renewed focus on prayer. One of the books that came out of that is a book called Living a Prayerful Life by Andrew Murray, a book that I've been reading, rereading, studying, and making a part of my time with the Lord for the last several months now, Living a Prayerful Life. One of the chapters in that book is called Ministers of the Spirit. It's written to pastors. But it applies to all of us who are believers and followers of Jesus Christ. It, 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 it takes from uh, 2 Corinthians 3 where it speaks of the ministry of the Spirit. The ministry of the Spirit that is alive and at work. Because you see, it's not about us, it's all about God. Amen? And it's not just about us, it's all about Jesus. Isn't that right? It's not just about us, we have to have the presence of the Holy Spirit of God if God is going to show up. Isn't that right? So here's what Andrew Murray says in that chapter. The, the preacher is to be entirely under the power and control of the Holy Spirit so that he may be led and used by the Spirit as the Spirit will. He then says this, How little we have understood the Spirit. How little we have lived in the Spirit. How little we have experienced the power of of the Holy Spirit. And then he asked this question, what must we do? We've seen the results. We all recognize, he says, in the year 1912 in South Africa, he says, we all recognize that the church is in a lull. The church is in a, a low spiritual state. There's not an energy. There's not a presence. There's, there's, not a, there's not a sense of excitement and anticipation. There's not an expectancy. People are just simply going through the motions. And he says, what must we do? Well, I read somewhere that somebody said this line. It's a pretty well-known line that identifying the problem is 90% of the solution. If you recognize what the problem is, you know pretty much what to do about it. For example, if you're outside in the sun and suddenly you can't see, well, what's the solution? Well, you can put your hand up over your eyes. Makes perfect sense. He says there's three things we must do. Let me share them with you quickly. There must be, he says, deep confession 
that we have indeed grieved the Spirit, the Spirit of God, because we have not lived daily in dependence on Him. Secondly, he says, there must be simple childlike surrender to His leading in the confidence that the Lord will work a change in us. Third, he says, there must be daily fellowship with the Lord Jesus in ceaseless prayer. He will bestow on us the Holy Spirit. What was missing? The Holy Spirit was missing. And he says, he will bestow on us the Holy Spirit like rivers of living water. I've been praying for rivers of living water. I don't know about you, but I've been praying, God, pour out your spirit. I've been praying, Lord, as I look at the, at the state of the church in our nation today, the state of the church in our world today, the state of the church in our communities today, the state of Ridgecrest Baptist Church, I want you to know I'm praying, Lord, pour out living waters. If I'm off base, y'all go ahead and run me off. Because I will, I, with a passion in my soul, I feel this message in my heart. The night before the cross, Jesus is meeting with his disciples. They've had the Last Supper. They've, Jesus has washed their feet. He's begun a, a time, a, a series of, of, of teaching uh, moments there uh, with his disciples. He's preparing to go out and to pray. He's preparing for the arrest that will come that same night. He's preparing for the cross, which at this point in the scripture is the very next day. We're in John chapter 16, by the way. The disciples did not understand why Jesus is saying to them, I have to leave. <laughs> I'm going back to the Father. They were confused. He taught them during this time that his return to the Father is what made it possible for God to send the Holy Spirit to them. He had to leave so that the Holy Spirit could come. And you and I must understand, we cannot live the Christian life in our own power. You and I cannot live the Christian life in our own power. The Holy Spirit enables us to live the life that, calls us, that God calls us to live. It is the Holy Spirit of God that enables us and that calls us to live the life that God has for us. And today I want to point out to you as we've looked at a different picture of Jesus in every chapter of the Gospel of John, today the picture is this. Jesus is the giver of the Holy Spirit. It is Jesus who gives to us the Holy Spirit, so that we might be all that God has called us to be. Now, at this point, Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he's saying to them, he says, now I have to, I'm going away, and by the way, when I leave, the world is going to hate you. That's what he says. The end of chapter 15. I'm going away, and, and, and the world is, is going to hate you. In fact, if you were to, to look, you don't have to do it right now, but in John chapter 15, the end part of that chapter, verses 18 to 27, Jesus tells him that there, because of him, because of Jesus, the world is going to come against his followers. Eight different times in those eight or so verses, Jesus uses the word hate in, in describing the response of the world to the disciples once Jesus has gone back up into heaven. He says, the world is going to hate you. Now, the disciples must have been a little bit surprised. Well, wait a minute, Jesus. I'm not trying to get people to hate me. I want to be closer to God. They may have been a little bit surprised at the severity of, of the language Jesus used. They, they may have been a little bit disheartened. 
Eight times, right in a row, Jesus says, the world will hate you because of me. And I can imagine, it's not recorded in Scripture, but, but I can imagine if Al and I were among the disciples at that moment, we would have looked at each other. One of us would have said, well, Al, I didn't sign up for this. That's what was going on. And then Jesus continued as chapter 16 begins, starting in verse 1 of chapter 16 of John. Jesus said, I've, I've said these things to you to keep you from falling away. I know what's going through your mind. I'm telling you these things now so that when it happens, it won't chase you away from being my follower. I'm telling you these things now so that when it comes, you will be able to stand strong in your faith. Verse 2, they, the world, they will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he's offering service to God. Verse 3, and they will do these things because. Why? They, why? Why? Why come against Christians? Why, why come against those who follow after Jesus? He says here in verse 3, They will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I've said these things to you, that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. You see, until Jesus comes back, and He's coming back, by the way, you know that, right? Until Jesus comes back or we die, whichever comes first, you and I will live in a world that is hostile and even hateful towards the things of Jesus. Where does this hostility come from? It comes from Satan. We have an enemy. He's an enemy of the gospel. He's an enemy of the Savior. And hostility comes from him. We have hostility from the ungodly. Those who do not follow God, they reject God, they despise God, and they take it out on us because we follow after Christ. And even from those who call themselves religious. Hostility will come upon the followers of Christ. They think they are serving God by persecuting Christians. And one thing that's common between the Jews and the Muslims, you don't think about them having a lot in common, but throughout history, in the different periods of history, the Jews and the Muslims have had this one thing in common. They have each persecuted Christians. The Jews put Jesus to death on the cross. It is the Jews who persecuted uh, Paul once he became a follower of Christ. It is the Jews who stoned Stephen there in the book of Acts and who brought opposition against the followers of Christ in the days of the early church. We, we, we have that historically. We know that they have rejected the Savior Jesus. The Jews have. Then the Muslims. Uh, from throughout history, there have been battles and they have come against Christians uh, or as they call us infidels with a furor. I was reading uh, from a missions group called Open Doors. I've, I've read several of their articles over the years. They're a reliable source of information about missions around the world. Open Doors reports this. In Nigeria, in the country of Nigeria, at least 4,305, at least 4,305 Christians known by name were murdered by Muslims because of their faith in the year 2018, if you follow Jesus, whether it's in Nigeria or North America or wherever you happen to be, there will be opposition. Jesus says, I'm telling you this so that when it comes, you won't fall away. Be prepared and know that it's coming. Many in this room know we may not have been chased down and killed and lost our jobs necessarily, but if you follow after Jesus some form, some fashion, somewhere, somehow, by somebody at some point, you're going to bear a uh, persecution from somebody. It might be a word. It might be a relationship. It might be a, a, your reputation, any number of different ways. So in the face of this sort of difficulty, 
How can you and I, as Christians in the year 2019, how can we survive, and even more, how can we thrive as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ? We do so by the Holy Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit. Let me invite you to stand with me this morning. Our passage starts back in chapter 15 of John in verse number 26 and goes through chapter 16, verse number 15. I'm going to read for you this morning, starting at verse number 7 of John chapter 16. Jesus says this, It is to your advantage, now he's talking to his disciples, It is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the Helper, this is the Holy Spirit, the Helper will not come to you, but if I go... I will send him to you. Now think about this. The advantage of having the Holy Spirit is this. Theologians will tell us. When Jesus was on earth, Jesus was, was one person in one place at one time. He brought into the world the teaching about the Savior, the fulfillment of all the prophecies, the bearing of the sins of the world. When he died on the cross, Jesus is essential to our salvation. But he was one person in one place at one time. The Holy Spirit, the presence of God, is everywhere. At the same time, for the people of God. That's why it's to our advantage. Verse 8, when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. Somebody say amen to that. That's good. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all the truth, for He will not speak on His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak, and He will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify Me, for He will take what is Mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is Mine. Therefore I said that He will take what is Mine and declare it to you. The Holy Spirit of God is the Helper sent to us that we might be enabled and empowered to survive and to thrive as Jesus works in the world to bring people to know Christ. Amen? Amen. Our Heavenly Father, today, in the very few moments that we have, would you speak truth into our hearts and our minds? Would you help us, Lord, not to be afraid of the things that you promise come to those that follow after you, but, but instead, Lord, help us to be confident that the one in whom we have trusted is the one who can deliver us on this earth and deliver us from the penalty of sin and the burdens of this earth and into eternal life with you forever. Thank you for the Holy Spirit. May we learn more even now. May we trust you more. And may we follow you all the more as we pray in Christ's name. Amen. All right, please be seated. I want to share with you four actions in this passage that we see of the Holy Spirit. There's, there's a lot more that the Scripture says about the Holy Spirit, but right here on this occasion, as Jesus talks to His followers about the Holy Spirit, I want to point out to you very briefly four actions that the Holy Spirit uh, is involved with in our lives. The first is that the Holy Spirit empowers witness about Jesus. He empowers us to witness about Jesus. We see this at the end of chapter 15 in verses 26 and 27, speaking of the Holy Spirit, Jesus said, He will bear witness about me. The Holy Spirit is going to, to bear witness. He's going to be a presence in the world, and He's going to bear witness 
about me. I don't know if you've ever done this before, but have you ever turned on the TV and there was the Holy Spirit speaking about God? I've never done that. I don't know if you've ever showed up at church and the Holy Spirit... Now, I've been in church where the Holy Spirit showed up. I know you have too. Isn't that awesome when that happens? Isn't that awesome when that happens? So, so, but, but I've never gone to church and the speaker of the day from behind the podium was the Holy Spirit. I've never done that. But I've noticed and I've witnessed and I understand from Scripture that the Holy Spirit bears witness about Christ by using the followers of Christ to bear witness about Christ. In fact, verse 27 says the same thing. You also will bear witness. He, the Holy Spirit, is going to bear witness through you into the world so that the world that hates Jesus might come to know Jesus. That's what he's saying here. You see, when we're obedient to live and share our faith, the Holy Spirit is at work in us and the Holy Spirit is at work through us to impact people for the gospel. He uses our actions. He uses our attitude. He uses the, the expressions on our face. He uses our words, and He uses our availability so that the gospel can go forth and the presence of, of the Holy Spirit can impact not just us, but others through us. That's why it's so important uh, as we go out into the world, as you go to your job, as you go to your school, as you interact with your family, as you interact with, with your neighbors, with all around you, that's why it's so important that we walk closely with the Holy Spirit on a regular basis and live our lives in accordance with the Word of God so that at any given moment, the Holy Spirit might use us to represent Christ. Isn't that a scary thought? That He might use us to represent Christ in some random thought that may actually be a divine appointment. Let me give you some examples. A student at school has no church, no Christian influence. There's no Christian influence in their home. They're not a part of a church, and they have no thought of the things of God, and they're living a very ungodly life because it's the natural life that they, everybody's living. It's what they see on TV. It's what they hear in music. It's what's happening at the movies. It's, it's the culture all around. With no thought of the things of God, there's a student somewhere. In fact, there are students everywhere that are living ungodly lives with no thought of the things of God. And let me tell you very clearly, this is who I was. I was that kid. I was that one in that class. I was that one at that school with no thought of the things of God in any way, shape, form whatsoever. But imagine that you're in that class with that person and you know who they are and they have no thought for the things of God. Are you ready to bear witness to that person? In math class? In the lunchroom? on the playground, wherever you happen to be, are you the one who could bear witness to that kid? Also, think about this, a co-worker. A co-worker two cubicles away from you in the office, wherever you happen to work, has, has been burned by the church at some, for, at some point in the past. They, 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 have, they have nothing to do with God. They are mad. They are angry with God. They want nothing to do with church. And when they see you coming and they know you're a Christian, they turn the other way. They want nothing to do in any way whatsoever because they are angry with God. And then you find out they've got a terminal disease. Cancer's come. And you don't know this, but they're now suddenly very open to the things of God. Have you responded in the past in ways so that the bridge could be built to talk to them about the things of God now? And are you willing to be the one to go to that person that you know have been, has been so hostile towards the things of God to now hopefully bring the gospel to them in that moment? Think about your neighbor has questions about God. 
You've talked to your neighbor over the years. You've talked over the fence. You've talked about the weather. You've talked about your yard. You've talked about sports. You've talked about the games. You've talked about everything in the world going on. And, but, but, but there's never been the topic of religion. There's never been the topic of faith. There's never been a topic talking about Jesus. And, and you know that that person exhibits no interest whatsoever. But deep down inside, there's a question that they have about God. Is he real? Is the Bible true? Do I know anybody that's a Christian? And there you are talking across the fence. Could it be that this is your moment for the Holy Spirit to use you in a divine encounter to represent the gospel of Christ? Think about being in a Sunday school connect group. You gather together on a Sunday morning, you're talking about things of the Bible, and, and something is said and brought up about living out our Christian faith. It's so important to live out our Christian faith, and somebody raises their hand very sheepishly and says, I'm just struggling because I've got doubts about Jesus. I'm just going to be honest today. I don't know if I really believe the Bible. I don't know if, if, if Jesus is real. And whether it's right there in that connect group or whether it be in a discussion afterwards, could you be the one that God could use through the power of the Holy Spirit to address that person and their doubts and their questions. I know what many of you are doing. You're sitting there thinking, well, not me. That's what we pay you for, preacher. <laughs> That's why we have staff members. And hopefully God uses me as a preacher. Hopefully God uses Al and the rest of our staff as staff members to impact the world for the gospel. Listen, God's purpose and plan is that every believer be a minister of the gospel and a minister of the Spirit to take the gospel out in ways that the pastor can never go to, in places the pastor will never be, with people that would never give the pastor the time of day, but they will listen to you. So what does it take to be ready? <laughs> what does it take to be that person that's going to bear witness for Christ? It takes just a couple of things. It takes living out your faith on a regular basis. We'll never be perfect. We'll never know all that we need to know. We'll never be thoroughly prepared in our own minds. But it just takes a, a, a living out of our Christian lifestyle and then a preparation to know some words, some Bible verses, some places to take people about to share the gospel with them. And it takes simply a, a trusting in the Spirit. It says, Lord, I'm willing. I'm willing. And, 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 you know, sometimes you don't know exactly what doors the Holy Spirit's opening up, so you talk to everybody. You interrupt somebody. You, 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 you Can I tell you about Jesus? Can I tell you about Jesus? And you get a lot of doors slammed in your face. I know that experience. But I've learned over time to be discerning. And, and, and in those moments when, I, when I'm kind of yielding myself and saying, Lord, I'm available, it's amazing what doors can open up to you. And all of a sudden it's so easy and so natural to share your faith in that environment. So Lord, give us a willingness to walk through open doors. Secondly, the, the Holy Spirit brings conviction. We need to thank God for the conviction of the Holy Spirit. The world hates Jesus. That's not my opinion. That's what Jesus said. The world hates Jesus. Verse, uh, chapter 15, verses 18 and 19. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. You see, the plan is to reach the world. Well, who's the world? the world? The world hates Jesus. But the convicting power of the Holy Spirit, think about this, the convicting power of the Holy Spirit 
gets a hold of people in the world who hate Jesus and brings those same people to become part of those who love Jesus. That's, a, that's the amazing picture of the gospel. Listen to the words of John 3.16. For God so loved who? And what do we know about the world? They hate Jesus. In the face of the world hating Jesus, God so loved the world that he sent Jesus into the world to die on the cross, to be raised from the dead, that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. God sent Jesus into the world so that the very people that hated him would come to know him and have forgiveness of their sins and eternal life. That's the gospel. And that's who you were. And that's who I was before we met Christ as our Savior. Three convictions that we read about here very quickly. The conviction of unbelief, verse 9. Concerning sin because they do not believe in me. The Holy Spirit only convicts people of one sin. If you're not a, if you're not a believer and a follower of Christ, there's only one sin keeping you away from heaven. Whatever else you may have done in your life, there's only one thing keeping you from heaven. Did you know that? Only one sin. And that sin is the sin of unbelief. The only thing that keeps you from heaven is the sin of unbelief. The Holy Spirit convicts of unbelief. John chapter 3, verse 18 through 21. If you believe, you're not condemned. But if you don't believe, you're condemned already. Belief is the core of our salvation. And the Holy Spirit brings conviction in the heart of someone. The Holy Spirit convicts of righteousness. Verse 10, concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you'll see me no longer. The Holy Spirit convicts of, right, of the righteousness of Jesus as seen in the lives of believers. Again, this is why it's so important that we live lives of faith so that, people, so that the Holy Spirit can use us to bring the conviction of the righteousness of Jesus into the lives of those that don't know Him. Then thirdly, the Holy Spirit convicts of judgment. Verse 11, concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. You know, you know, Satan seems to be winning everything, doesn't he? He's called the prince of the power of the air, the ruler of this world. He, all those things are true. But, but, but there's coming a time when, when, when all that's going to be over. Did you know that? And Jesus was telling his disciples, he says, he says I'm, 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 the, the spirit will convict of judgment because the ruler of this world who seems like he's getting away with everything, who seems like he is the ultimate authority, who seems like he's got everything under his control, he's judged. <laughs> you know how he was judged? On the cross. The judgment is secure. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. So someone who comes under the conviction of the Holy Spirit sees the error of their unbelief, and then they confess that they don't measure up to the righteousness of Christ, and they recognize that judgment comes upon the wicked. And all of that comes from the Holy Spirit. And He uses you and I in that regard. Thirdly, the Holy Spirit directs believers. I like this. I need direction. I don't know where I'm going most of the time. I need somebody to show me and point the way. That's what the Holy Spirit does. Verse 13 of John 16. When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all the truth. For He will not speak of His own authority. But whatever He hears, He will speak. And He will declare to you the things that are to come. So as you read the Bible, as you pray, as you worship, as you go about living for Christ, the Holy Spirit will guide you along the way. Now, I'll never forget, I'll never forget this. One of my favorite memories here at Ridgecrest. In 2011, I was with a group of some of you, and we went to the Holy Land, went to Israel. And our, our, our tour guide's name was Maku. 
And Maku uh, got us where we needed to be, at the right place, at the right time, to see the right thing, to hear the right thing, to observe the right thing, to stay away from the wrong thing, to keep the schedule moving so that we didn't miss anything. And Maku would say to us over and over again, when he would send us off, he said, now you got 10 minutes here, and after 10 minutes, when you think of me, think of me waiting for you. <laughs> he was encouraging us. And in the same way, the Holy Spirit puts us in the right place at the right time with the right thing. He keeps us in the wrong way. He, gets us, he points us to those divine moments so that we can live our faith and we may never know some of the times that God uses us through the power of His Holy Spirit and somebody is simply watching us from a distance and never says a word, but God used us in that moment. The Holy Spirit directs believers. And lastly, very quickly and with not enough time, the Holy Spirit glorifies Jesus. He glorifies Jesus. How are we to live the life God calls us to live? It is in the power of the Holy Spirit of God. In verse 14 of John 16, He, the Spirit, He will glorify me, for He will take what is mine and declare it to you. See, Jesus is glorified when His Word is declared. Jesus is glorified when, when we as followers live it out boldly and joyfully and gladly in front of every possible person where we're not ashamed in the face of, 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 of our friends. We're not ashamed when we go to school. We're not ashamed when we stand before people and, and others may mock and ridicule Jesus and we're willing to stand up for him. That's how he's glorified. He's glorified by our lives that, that the power of His Spirit enables us to overcome sin and to overcome the, the difficulties of this life and to face the trials of this life even up to and including the point of death to face those things with peace and with power and with joy. We can't do that on our own. We can't. But we don't have to do it on our own. God gives us His Holy Spirit. Would you right now just get alone with yourself between you and the Lord? Just bow your head and close your eyes. Andrew Murray, the 84-year-old in 1912, when the church was at a low spiritual state, made this statement. If we wish for people to know what God has prepared for them, we must commit ourselves from this moment forward to the leading of the Holy Spirit. We as believers must commit ourselves to the leading of the Holy Spirit. I wonder this morning, right where you are, I'm not going to ask you to come forward to, to, to gather around the altar this morning. We'll do that sometimes, and I love those opportunities. But right now today, I'm going to ask you to stay right where you are. But I wonder if you would simply be willing between you and the Lord in the quietness of this moment simply to pray, Lord, I want to commit myself to the leading of the Holy Spirit. Would you, would you just pray just between you and the Lord? I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. I'm not going to ask you to get up and, and give a testimony. But Lord, I want to commit myself to the leading of the Holy Spirit. Would you lead my life, Lord? I wonder if you'd be willing to pray that right now. Lord, I want to commit myself to the leading of the Holy Spirit. And as you do that, if we think back to the other words of Andrew Murray, would you be willing to say, Lord, I confess that I have grieved your spirit because I have not depended on you. I have. Lord, I have. I've done things in my own power. I've borne the consequences of that. I have not lived in dependence on you. Lord, I confess that. Would you be willing to pray this morning and tell the Lord, Lord, I want to surrender myself to your leadership, knowing that you will work in me. I have confidence, Lord, that you 
will work in me, so I surrender to you. I wonder this morning if you're willing to tell the Lord, Lord, I commit myself to daily fellowship with you so that you will bestow on me the Holy Spirit like rivers of living water. Lord, help me to walk with you daily, not just lip service, not just checking off my little devotional list. Lord, to truly walk with you that I might experience rivers of living water by the power of the Holy Spirit. Our Heavenly Father, I know I have no power within myself at all. And I know that at my very best is when I yield myself to you. And I pray that this morning I've yielded myself in study and in prayer and in preparation. And that, Lord, your spirit, even this morning, has spoken into the hearts and lives of those gathered here. And I pray, my Heavenly Father, that I would lead the charge in saying, Lord, I want to commit myself to the leading of the Holy Spirit. I'm not just to set an example, but because I desperately need you. And I pray, Lord, that would be the same prayer for all of us in this room. May we confess that we have depended on ourselves and not you. May we surrender to your leading, Lord, knowing that you work a change. May we commit to fellowship with you, Lord, that the Holy Spirit might come like rivers of living water. We thank you, Lord, for how you work in our hearts and our lives and pray even now that you would speak to our hearts or speak to my heart that I might follow after you all the days of my life as I pray in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen.